So we're continuing a series, and it's called Right on the Money. And it's, it's been kind of fun. I've actually never had to give any kind of talks on this topic before, which is so funny because, as we've told you, this is what Jesus talked about 15 to 20% of the time was money. The relationship especially between your money and your heart. And if you look at Jesus' teaching and his stories and you total that all up, this was a big topic that he hit a lot. And yet it's so funny, Bill and I were just talking. This is the first time in six years, almost six years has since been around, that we've done a series that has just focused exclusively on money. We are way behind Jesus on this topic and and talking about it. Why did he talk about it that much? Why was this so important? You know, what was it? Well, the key is, and we've been talking about this in the series, the way you view money says a lot about where your allegiance is, where your heart is, your connection to God. Like Jesus saw this tie that was very important, and so he talked about it, and he talked about it head on. And so that's what we've been trying to do here is say, no, let's, let's really deal with this. I told you last week, one of my big issues around money has been, you know, when I earn it, I feel like it's mine. And so it's hard for me to actually be generous because that's my money and I don't want to give it. I earned it. I sacrificed. I, 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 I'm the one. And so it ends up in mine. Well, I got another problem too, okay? <laughs> that wasn't enough. I got another problem to share with you, too, about how do, I, how do I move toward the generosity that Jesus is talking about? Okay, little experiment. I want you to just think for a second, how do you feel in these scenarios? Here's a scenario. Scenario number one is this. I walk into Safeway. I run around the store, pick up some groceries, get some stuff, get a few things. I walk up to the checkout person. I get in line, give them my Safeway card. They run it through and they look at me and they say, okay, that's uh, $18.21. And would you like to add a dollar today to help disabled children? How do you feel? What, What goes on through your mind? What's the word that comes to your mind when that moment happens? Yes, oh, I wish I were you. No, here's another scenario. I walk into a coffee shop. I go up to the counter. I'm not ordering anything fancy. I just ask for a mug. Hey, give me a coffee mug. All right, that'll be whatever. Put it into the iPad. They turn the iPad around toward me, and then it says, uh, would you like to tip? 15%, 20%, or 25%? I'm going, you gave me a mug. 25% off a mug, and I can't like do the math fast enough, and I'm thinking like, do I really want to tip off the mug? Or, you know, and, and then you're thinking, maybe I'll give you 50 cents. But to do that, I would have to push the custom button. You know, there's like a little button that says custom. I got to push custom, and then I got to enter 50 cents, and that's all for 50 cents. And so eventually, instead of doing any of that, you push none. And you move on. What, what's happening in that moment? What's happening in the moment that's going to happen here in about a month? When you go into King Supers, and there's a little guy outside King Supers, and he's got the bell, and he's ringing it, and it's the Salvation Army, and they've got their bucket right there. How many of you have ever walked the Salvation Army guy, and, and all of a sudden you got a phone call? Oh, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah, no, I'll see you. And as soon as you get by the guy, the phone call magically is over, right? It was back in. Am I the only one? What's going on in that moment? Guys, here's what I think sometimes happens when it comes to generosity. I think there's a word, for me, what comes to mind with that and why sometimes, sometimes I give, but I give because of this word. I give out of guilt. Any, am I alone? Anybody else? I, I read this book once that um, I actually think is a fantastic book, but even the title got me. This, this is the title of the book. It's called uh, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Do we have that? Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. It's actually a fantastic book, really insightful. Ron Sider is an amazing author. But I have to tell you, even the title got me back into guilt mode. I oh, am yeah, a rich Christian in the age of hunger. And I grew up in Boulder. And I'm white. And I've got just about everything I possibly need. And, and I start to kind of lop guilt after guilt on top of me. And then I wonder, is it okay to give out of guilt? Just do it? Or do I just not? you know, and I get to this spot, and I'm like, uh, and then I start thinking about, I saw a quote once, uh, this, there's an old saying in the church that says, um, you know what, the last thing about a Christian that will change, like if you give your life to Jesus, decide to follow Jesus, you know what the last thing that's going to change is? There's an old saying that says the last thing to change is your wallet. It's the last thing, me, me being generous. I'll, I'll do all kinds of stuff first, but the last thing that's going to change about me is my wallet. And then that makes me feel even more guilty. You know, and, and here's the thing about guilt. If you have, I sometimes wonder short-term guilt, maybe it's okay. But have you ever been trapped in a long-term guilt around something? What I generally think happens with us that get into long-term guilt is we do one of two things. We either are guilty and we experience resentment. We start to go, ah, I'm enough. And we reject it. I'm sick of feeling guilty about that. I'm just done. I'm out. That's, that's one option. The other option that comes with long-term guilt is, you know, we just kind of comply. Okay. I'm supposed to give this amount, so I'll give this amount. But in the end, it's like heartless compliance. Is that what God has for us? This guy, Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, wrote a letter to these people in Corinth. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Corinth here in a second. But one of the things he wrote was, he said, you must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So the question today for us in here, how do we move from a world of guilt to a place where we actually give for a different reason. What if you gave out of joy? I have some friends who love to give stuff. How did they get there? What happened with those people? How do they become so generous and they do it with joy and it doesn't feel like it's coming out of obligation or pressure? You know, Jesus, we looked at this verse that Jesus um, talked about for the last couple weeks. He says, 
store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth where stuff gets ruined. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Give your money, give your resources. Do things for things that are never going to end. That, that's what he said. But you know what? So, and, he, and he says, if you do that, your heart's going to be there. How sad is it if we end up being people that our money actually goes there, but our heart is actually over here and we're divided? Man, I don't want to be that. Here's my prayer. This morning, we're going to walk through this. What if you left this room with one thing in mind that's going to move us from a space of giving out of guilt into a space of giving with joy? Lord, help us to do that. Help us to hear, to be open, and to see today what you want to do with this. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so what I want to do is I want to, I, I think there's some keys on this of how we can move from guilt to joy with our giving. And, and, and one of the ways I'm going to do that is I want to show you uh, a passage where I mentioned Paul. Paul was like one of the smartest people who ever walked this earth, you guys. Paul um, was one of the early Christians who started planting churches all around the Mediterranean. And one of the places that he planted at a church was in a place called Corinth. So I'm going to give you a little quick aerial shot. So we're going to start out here in Boulder. There we are, right in Boulder. And we're going to just fly right over the Atlantic. And I'm going to take you into the Mediterranean. And this is where Corinth is. Boom, right there. So Corinth it was an amazing place. And it's really important for us to understand it because it... it of all the places Paul wrote to, Corinth is a great one for us to understand. So he wrote two letters to the people in Corinth. First Corinthians is the name of the letter, and Second Corinthians. We're going to look at Second Corinthians, the second letter that he wrote to these people. Why? Because Corinth was kind of us. They had this weird blend about them. Corinth, the way I would describe Corinth is, Corinth was a mix between Vegas. Vegas on the one hand with its kind of like wild way of living, thinking about things, whatever. It's kind of woo, out there. Vegas and the Silicon Valley. Money, driven, innovative, no time. Off we go, right? That's, that's the Silicon Valley. You, can, you take Vegas, you take the money of the Silicon Valley, you combine them together, you have Corinth. Why? Because everybody in the ancient world actually had to travel through Corinth. Especially in the wintertime, they couldn't go way out in the Mediterranean because their boats would get sunk. They had to go through Corinth. And so Corinth had the whole world walking through its city all the time. And people that wanted um, places to stay, they wanted food, they wanted to be entertained. These guys got really good at all that stuff. And in the process, the people in Corinth got really rich, really wealthy. And so Paul's writing them this letter, and one of the things he's going to do in this letter is he's trying to convince them to be generous. What Paul's experiencing is that a lot of people who are in much more poor areas where he planted churches are being more generous than the people in Corinth. And he's like, why is this? Like, you guys have way more money. Incidentally, you guys understand, I don't know if you know this, there's actually charts out there that show people's, um, their income versus how much they give. Did you know that the more you give, or the more that you make, statistically speaking, the less you will give away? It's just proven that people that make less give far more percentage of their money than people that make more. That's what's going on in Corinth. And, and Paul's saying, we gotta have your generosity. And so he writes them this letter, and he's got something he wants them to give to, 
And there's something in this for us, you guys, on how we're going to move from guilt to joy. Watch what Paul does with these guys in Corinth. So here's what he says. This is uh, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So Macedonia is a place just to the north of Corinth. They don't have the money that Corinth does. Not even close. They don't have people traipsing through their town the way Corinth does. He's saying... I want you to look at Macedonia as an example. They're being tested by many troubles. They got a lot going on. One of them is they don't have that much money and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy. How in the world did that happen? Which is overflowed in rich generosity. Guys, Paul's saying these places north of you that don't have the money, they're like way more generous than you. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. What's, what's Paul trying to do here? I think the first thing Paul's trying to get them to understand is Paul's saying, you guys, stop looking at just your little area where you live. You have got to expand your worldview. The biggest danger that you can fall into when it comes to generosity, when it comes to joy, when it comes to guilt, is just comparing yourself with your neighbor if you have grown up or been in any time in the Boulder area. You cannot compare yourself with your neighbor when it comes to feeling about the stuff that you've got. He's saying, Corinthians, stop looking at yourself. There's a bigger world. There's people that are way in a different spot than you are. You guys, this is terrifying for me that grew up in Boulder. I love this place. This place is dangerous too. I, I had a friend uh, just this week telling me he moved here about a year ago and he's like, I came from a multi-ethnic spot. I came from a place with different, you know, kind of economic backgrounds. He's like, I have only been here one year and I can already see myself thinking about the world differently and it's not good. How do we expand our worldview so that we're not comparing ourselves to our neighbors, but we're thinking about the world around us, that God is calling us to look out there, and that's exactly what Paul's doing. Corinthians, come on. Stop thinking, do I have a bigger boat than the guy next door? And start thinking, you know what? Maybe if I lived more simply, it would actually have a result in my generosity. I think that is a huge call for us, a huge call for us who live in this area. How do I live more simply so that I could be more generous? It starts with having a bigger worldview. That's one thing that's great about that Ron Sider book, despite the title that made me guilty. The, the idea that he's trying to do is he's trying to say, stop, stop looking at yourself, stop looking at your neighbors, stop looking at the place where you live and start looking at the entire world and maybe, just maybe, your heart will start to change. Guys, when we talk about our trips to Cuba, you, you want to think about how do we get out of our little area and start thinking about the world as a whole? I hope, we're going on another Cuba trip in, at spring break. I hope you'll go. Man, I hope you'll go down there. Your heart will fall in love with it. If you're a high school student and you hear about some of the trips that we do with our high school students in the summertime, I hope you will go. Even, even expense-wise, if it's too much to go, come talk to us. Come talk to Chris, our pastor with uh, Middle and High. We're going to figure out a way to get you down there. We want 
our worlds to expand, and it comes with seeing what's out there. That's exactly what Paul's trying to do. Um, you know, some of us, sometimes, this is a good question to ask. Why do we take trips to places like Cuba or, or places like, you know, these middle high school trips? Wouldn't it be better just to send money? Why do we, well, yeah, that's it, a great question. You know, would it help them more if we sent money? I, ultimately, what it comes down to is we believe that if you actually go and see and experience and your worldview expands, you're going to be more generous in the long run by doing that. Frankly, that's why all those organizations want you to come down and see it. Part of it is they want you to see it so that your heart is there and you see it and you want to give. We've got to expand our worldview. Guys, if you, if you give the compassion or something like that, do you understand what's going on in that country where you're giving to? Dive into life outside of Boulder in some way. It's never been more easy to do that than it is now with the internet, with technology. Expand your worldview. That's what Paul's trying to get them to do here, okay? So the second thing that he tries to get them to do too, look at what he does in verse four and five. He's talking about this, these poor churches. He says, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. These, these poor churches are begging to give money. But, but you'll see what Paul does here. He's making sure they remember who this is for. He's saying, we're giving this gift, and I want you to participate in this gift, Corinth, for the believers in Jerusalem. And, and the churches, the Macedonian churches, they even did more than we had hoped. Their first action was just to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. And then they were incredibly generous. So what, what he's trying to do here in the second one, is he's trying to get them to understand who are you giving this to? Don't just give blindly. He's saying, know their story. Understand the story that you are giving your money into. If you don't, you're always going to just kind of give out of obligation. You're going to give with compliance. If you want to give with joy, know the people. Have a relationship. Know the story that you're giving money into. Um, I'm so psyched to tell you what I'm about to tell you. So um, a, couple, a few years ago, we raised money for our new building, which is going to happen. Trust me. We're working on it. We raised money for that a few years ago, and we're working on it. And, but one of the things that we said before, and I love this, one of the things we said when we raised that money was we said, we're, we're going to actually help somebody else build a church first. Before we build our church, we're going to help somebody else build a church. So we called the campaign Double Play. And we chose, we worked with a group, uh, Compassion International, and a group called Stadia that plants churches all over the world. We work with these two organizations to plant a church in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And so uh, three years ago, we, before we started anything that we were doing, we sent $90,000 of that money, the first part of that money, we sent down to, with compassion to Santa Cruz, Bolivia to help build a church there. Can I show you guys the church? So this is, this is we're, we're taking the trip now down to Central America, all the way down to Santa Cruz, Bolivia, and this is uh, the Union Trada area of Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Here's a picture of the church that's down there now. There it is. So isn't that amazing? I love it. So they totally beat us. 
way faster than we were to get their church going. So uh, it's called Vision Church. It's in this neighborhood that's kind of challenging. You guys could probably see there's barbed wire, there's bars everywhere. Um, uh, so these are some of the kids that are a part of the church right here. And the next picture will show you there's a lot of adults that are uh, part of it. We just got a little note this week. I thought this was so cool that in the church, about 40-some people have already said in that church that they have decided to follow Jesus with their lives as part of that church. Um, that's not a small deal. That's a big deal. So look at, look at, um, look at this next picture here too. So this, um, this is a picture of the pastor outside, um, outside the church. And you know what? Just to check your bias, let me show you a close-up on the picture of the pastor. This is the pastor of the church right here. So, yeah. So that is um, Pastor Paulina, and I just want to say I love that the first church plant that Ascent has been a part of, and hopefully there's many more to come, is a non-white female who is killing it down in Santa Cruz. Is that so amazing? So uh, I do want to show you, though, that picture of her, Pastor Paulina, standing next to this tree. Here's the story behind the tree. The tree was right across from the church, and the tree is where the gangs met. So what's happening in this area is that all the, there's 60-some percent people that are living below the poverty line. 30-some percent are in what's just called extreme poverty. And what's happening is the parents are going off during the daytime to go and work, and they're working for pennies, but they're just trying to survive. And the problem is, is they've got nothing in terms of resources for their kids. And so their kids are just roaming the streets. They're just hanging out. And what was happening for years in this area is the kids are looking for some sort of survival in some sort of community, and they were finding it in gangs. So the gang members are actually in this area recruiting these young kids, and they're running drugs, and they're running people, and, and these kids are getting sucked into this in the area where this church was being planted. Here's what happened. When the church came along with Compassion and Stadia, they started actually leading daytime programs for the kids. 85 kids now in that area are now part of their program that is meeting during the day. You guys, there's no more kids running around the street during the daytime with no parents around for the gangs to recruit. So you know that tree she's standing next to holding it? That's where the gangs used to meet. They don't meet there anymore. They left town. Come on! <laughs> How amazing is that? I, I saw that. You know, the first thing I did, I got on Google. I'm like, Google, what's the cost of a plane trip from Denver to Santa Cruz? I got to see this. You know, Man, you want to talk about moving out of guilt into joy? Let's do that. Don't you love that? Don't you? I mean, for me, that's where my heart gets fired up, and I go, Jesus loves that. I mean, if you gave a penny to our building stuff, that's part of your story, guys. That's part of saying, I'm taking this treasure, and I'm putting it into things that will not end. That's not going to end. That difference does not end. And I know some of you guys made a sacrifice over something that you could have got that was maybe nicer. And that's exactly what Paul's saying, Corinthians. 
Simplify your life so that somewhere, somewhere else, someplace else, somebody's life is going to be changed. Know the story that you're given into. That story is part of your story now. That's part of our story as a church. I love it. You know somebody did that for us when we started? You know, it's, man, 90000 bucks to start a church in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. I wish that's what it cost in Louisville. It's a little more pricey to get things going here. When we first started, this was about six years ago at this time, um, I was actually, I grew up in Boulder, but I was uh, serving at a church in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And a phenomenal church, great people. And as I was leaving, they were gracious enough to say to me, Jim, you're going to plant this church with Bill out in Louisville, Colorado. Um, you can actually talk to some of the people in our church about raising money for it, which is really unusual for a church to be that generous and allow a leaving staff person to try to raise money. I mean, that was pretty amazing. So I did. Um, I, I started talking to people, and I had, uh, I remember, this, this was amazing, <laughs> I had this dessert, and about a dozen people showed up. It was in somebody's backyard. And I invited this couple there because I, all I knew was their daughter, and their daughter was great. Has, you know, her daughter was, uh, their daughter was a high schooler, and just she was wonderful. And so I got to know their parents a little, maybe met them once, and I invited them to come to this dessert, and I was frankly very surprised that they came. But they came to the dessert, and I was casting vision for them. Why do we want to have a church in, in the Boulder area? Well, did you know that, and this is what I'm telling them at this dessert, 90 plus percent of the people in our area uh, don't, aren't doing what you're doing right now. They don't come to church. They're not part of a faith community. Uh, Boulder, in terms of the U.S., is the second highest city that would say in a survey that religion doesn't matter. Uh, that's, that's the Boulder area. Um, it's, it's young, it's entrepreneurial, it's growing, it has resources. If we, if we could capture a group of people that believed in a vision on being generous to the community that we're in, generous with things like Bolivia, with Cuba, if we could do that in the Boulder area and people could start to see Jesus clearly and stop seeing all the other stuff that's getting in their eyes, Man, if we could do that in the Boulder area, that would have a huge kingdom impact. That's what I'm telling these people. And that's still why Ascent exists today, right? That vision. And so I'm telling them this, and we end the time, and I'm asking, man, if you could support this in some way, that'd be amazing. The couple who's there, uh, everybody else starts to leave, and they kind of go, hey, come here. And I'm like, okay. I walk over, and um, they say to me, uh, we want to make a gift. Well, really, that's awesome. Tell me more. Uh, we want to give you $100,000. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, we believe in that. You've never met anybody. I haven't met anybody in our church yet. You're going to give us $100,000 to do that over there? And then... <laughs> The wife said something. I can't remember exactly what she said. It was something to effect of they were about to do some sort of remodeling on their house. And she said something like, that's just going to not have to happen. That's just going to have to wait. I was so struck. I mean, I, I got on, I, man, you should see me. I'm texting Bill, like blowing him up. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you know. Um, guys, if a scent has meant something to you, 
if you've grown this much by being a part of this community, or maybe even this has been a community where you've found yourself coming back to God or maybe saying, this is my first uh, I'm in to Jesus. <sighs> There's some people in California who didn't know us and they gave to that. And some of you are sitting in this room that before this thing even got going, you gave to that. You stored your treasures in heaven. That doesn't stop. This church is part of their story, part of that couple's story now. What's funny is Bolivia is actually part of their story too. Cuba is part of their story too. The stuff we do locally is part of their story too. That's because part of the beauty of how God has wired the church is that the church is something that just never stops. If it's healthy, it never stops being generous. And imagine 100 years from now, this church still right here, and we're still doing Bolivia's. And that's beautiful. And, and that, that's why whether it's the church you give to, whether it's Young Life you give to, whether it's Compassion International you give to, whether it's some organization that you just really believe in, if we want to move from guilt and obligation to joy, we've got to know the story of the people that we are giving to. Why are they doing what they're doing? Paul's saying to these people in Corinth, you got brothers and sisters who are living in Jerusalem. They're getting persecuted like crazy, and they have no money these guys could be gone, Corinth. They could be gone if we don't help them. And he's appealing to them, guys, know the story behind why you're giving. Last thing he does, let me show you this. It's in verse 7 through 9. It says, uh, and he's talking to this church now in Corinth. He says, since you excel in so many ways, right, this is a highly talented group of people, very talented church. You excel in a lot of ways. You excel in faith. You have gifted speakers. You are very smart. You're enthusiastic. Uh, love is a big deal. You get, you're loved by us. Like, uh, you, you guys have a lot going for you. And then Paul says, and I would love it if you would also excel in giving. Like, you know, again, like, what's the last thing about us that changes? It's often our wallet. This is what Paul is saying to them. Like, I want you to excel in that part of your faith. It's not just a side thing. Jesus didn't waste his time when he's talking 15 to 20 percent of the time about money. It's central to who we are. And he says, I'm not commanding you to do this, right? This can't be out of obligation. I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. There's a little dig in that statement. But he's getting them to think, right? Again, worldview, story, and then look what he does in this last verse. And I, this, is, this is where we want to end this. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is beautiful. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What does he do last? He brings it back to Jesus. He reminds us that when it comes to giving, it's not just expanding your worldview or knowing stories. The heart of moving from guilt to joy is understanding the graciousness and the generosity of God toward us. You know, Jesus, 
Because Jesus could have been born wherever he wanted to be born. He could have been born in a palace. He's born out in the backwoods somewhere with no money, a carpenter's son, you know, hitting his thumb with the hammer, growing up with no resources. That's what God chose to do. God chose to come as that, and yet he was willing to give and be generous, even to the point where he was so generous, he was willing to give away the greatest thing that gift that's ever been given, that's his life on a cross for us. Man, and if you have encountered that, you've had a real relationship with that, that's not just religious words. That's real to you, that's relationship to you. Then you go, oh my gosh, if I could just reflect a little bit of the generosity that I've experienced from God onto someone else, that's what will melt your heart, is the grace that we have been given by God. God. You guys, take this. This is just the facts. Giving will grow you. You will grow when you give, and that's because you're walking in the steps of Jesus, who is our God, and who we are saying, Lord, change us into someone who is even this much like you. When you sacrifice, you're walking in his footsteps. And in so doing, you become a little bit more like him every time you do that. Our giving flows ultimately out of relationship. What if, what if you did a little experiment in the next week or something, you just sat down and just kind of journaled a little bit about remembering the grace God has shown to you? Has God done something gracious with you? if you wrote that down, and, and how does that translate to the way you think about your money, the way you think about giving? So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you sometime this next week, is there a way you could expand your worldview? Is there a way you could look beyond Boulder? Is there a neighbor that you're comparing yourself with that you need to stop? Or someone at school, someone at work? Stop comparing yourself to them and start thinking more globally. How could you do that this week? Or how could you know the story? If you are giving to Young Life, do you know the leaders? If you're giving to Compassion, are you reading the letters that they send to you? If you are giving to this church, do you understand what we're trying to do and why? Know the story and then bring it back to Jesus. Man, you've been forgiven. Write about that. Love that. Show gratitude toward that. Guys, that, I think those three things, that's got the chance to change this word into this word, and there's nothing more beautiful than that. Lord, help us. Help us to do this. Help us to be generous. Help us to want that. Help us to follow after Jesus. Help us not to do this, uh, for a badge of honor. Help us to do it because you're calling us there and we do it and, and no one else even knows. God, help us to be incredibly brave. Maybe there's a decision today that needs to be made to live more simply where, where we will intentionally choose something that is more simple in our lives so that someone else will benefit, and there will be a story that, God, you will tell forever. 
God, we pray for that today. I pray for our church, that generosity and joy would be at the heart of everything we do. And so, God, we want to sing to you now. And we pray, God, that as you hear these words uh, from our mouths, that it would be a joyous thing, a gift that we can give back to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.